Hello everybody, today I'm interviewing Steve Tiger from Money Dashboard, which is a money aggregator service which in essence just gives you a summary of all your pension, investment and savings and checking accounts you've got, tracks it for you and gives you an amazing overview where you in essence just can see, you know, what have I got, what am I spending, where am I investing in and just create a really strong, nice overview because we all nowadays have so many different accounts, definitely me personally. We've got accounts all around with so many different providers which just makes it sometimes quite hard to manage and like I as you know many finance nerds uh, created my own spreadsheet to track everything but wouldn't be amazing if we had a server that does it for us so discussion with Steve on what the service does how it works how it makes money what it does with the data and how you can utilize it yourself to advance your personal uh, finance alive just to be specific this service is right now focused just on the UK but they've got plans to really really soon uh, launch into Europe so yeah hope this is of some value sit back relax and enjoy welcome to the financial independence europe podcast where we interview people from all 44 european countries all of them about optimizing your life geo arbitrage and making the most of your money this was your hosts alvar Arminta, and matthias Welcome everybody, welcome back again to another podcast episode of the Financial Independence Europe podcast. Uh, I've got Steve with me here. Hey Steve. Hey, how you doing? Awesome. And today we're going to talk about something we actually haven't done before, money dashboards. And uh, yeah, we just kind of like want to cover more tools within the podcast that can help you to reach financial independence and how to make it easier, efficient and optimized process. So just to get started, Steve, could you maybe introduce yourself, where you're from, the company itself and what money dashboard actually is? Sure. So my name is Steve Tiger. I'm the CEO of uh, Money Dashboard. We're based here in Edinburgh, but we also have offices in London and we'll soon be opening an office in Portugal. Uh, what do we do at Money Dashboard? I guess we want to help people thrive in their finances. And most people, sadly, are in survive, not thrive mode. And uh, that's that's why, why we exist. We want to help people get control of their finances, get on top of them and, uh, yeah, and, and get that sense of financial independence and freedom. Nice one. And the tool itself. So say I'm a typical person, I've got a normal income and my, you know, my money is a mess. I've got five accounts here and there. I've got a mortgage and a credit card. How can money dashboard help me to simplify that? Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I guess we do sort of three core things. Firstly, we give people visibility Mm -hmm. of all of their financial life in one place. So no matter which account you have, uh, whichever bank you have, you can connect it automatically to Money Dashboard for free. We then uh, organize uh, the spending data for a consumer so they can understand how much they're spending on groceries, dining out, entertainment, um, and, and so on and so forth. And then we give them tools um, in the form of budgets and cash flow management tools to help them achieve the goals that matter to them. And quite often we hear people sign up for the first time because they've got a specific goal in mind. They want to get on the property ladder or maybe they're planning for a wedding or they just want to save more and and find ways in their finances that they can save more. And we help them do that. Cool. And of course, I signed up myself a couple of months back when I met Jonathan uh, at one of uh, the financially independent meetups here in Edinburgh. And he told me about my dashboard and I was familiar with the company. I knew roughly what you did. I was like, oh, sure, let's sign up and see um, what it does. And honestly, great tool in terms of application, in terms of mobile app and uh, web for enjoyed using it and just having the option to aggregate because that's how I saw it before. It's just a money aggregator for all my accounts get everything together in one overview um, to make choices and not have this whole uh, yeah, spreadsheet world around because 
many listeners to the podcast they're, they're finance geeks they love building their own spreadsheets and uh, building things together and uh, putting data from like 10 different sources building their macros and get it working spending hours on it but I think the whole point of this episode is really to show them, okay, there are tools out there that can actually simplify this process for yourself. And instead of spending five hours on it, because I've got my own versions, I love building spreadsheets, but it's in the end, it's just not an efficient uh, way of using your time. And if there's a tool out there that can do that all for me, I can actually tweak my whole overviews and things in, and in ways I want. Hey, perfect for me. So I think that, that that automation piece, so I mean, I guess the thing with a lot of the personal finance apps throughout Europe um, and maybe even globally is mm-hmm. they haven't often been that customizable and or that modular. So people tend to try and build their own spreadsheets. I think what we've tried to work quite hard on is making the tool accessible for anyone to use and customize in a way that matters or is meaningful for them. So what, one example of that would be the categorization of transactions. So it's one thing actually connecting to all these different accounts and pulling in that data automatically. It's it's an entirely another thing when you're trying to remember what this goal of the year of a transaction actually was. And uh, through through uh, sort of, you know very smart data science team that we have and through spending a lot of time um, through, I don't know, five, six hundred million transactions that we've pulled into the data warehouse, we've been able to do a pretty good job of, of automating that categorization. Um, but it's still there and it's still customizable. So if a user kind of wants to set their own rules for certain transactions, they can do that. That seems to be mm-hmm. really valued by the, the user base. And when you're talking about categories, so you know, say I'm a normal user, I've got my household, uh, my income, my bills, etc., um, and I've got a tons of transactions, a couple hundred a month. Like, how do these categories work? And will I just see an overview with like uh, electricity and uh, going for dinner? How would that look like? So we, we probably went a little bit too granular um, in, the, in the early days. I think in the in the system that the early system had two hundred and eighty eight different categories, and uh, maybe, maybe that's a bit too much detail. So we, we've we've recently simplified it where we have effectively fourteen top level categories. That's things like groceries or income or. Uh, why can't I why can I not think of another example other than income and groceries? That's slightly concerning. Transport. That, thank you for helping me. Um, and then and then ninety-nine uh, sort of second level categories that map to those sort of um, top level categories. And and so at a at both a top level and a granular level, people can essentially get an out-the-box categorization mm-hmm. system that will essentially categorize all of their transactions. We also have the ability for people to set the custom labels. So if, if people don't think about their finances mm-hmm. like that and think about them slightly differently, they can just auto set rules um, against labels that, that are meaningful to them. Nice. And, and yeah. an example, um, so quite often in, in personal finance apps or even you know, challenger banks like Monzo, if yeah. you've spent something at, at uh, Tesco's, it will just auto assign it to groceries, but that could have been a fuel expenditure. You might have, you know, filled up your car. <laughs> and so we've, we've been able to figure out through good sort of detailed pattern recognition if a transaction is fuel or groceries at a merchant like Tesco. So you see all of that information in the application automatically. So I've used Monzo myself uh, quite regularly, and the example you're giving, yeah, it's a neat way. It's, the auto tagging in a lot of applications, it's good, but it's, yeah, improvement can is still needed in many ways. So I guess the goal of many people using a service like Money Dashboard in the end is okay. I want to simplify things, but I also want to get inside an overview because most people in the UK, you know, in Europe, average Shelley, 35 to 40k, UK, 27, 28k in pounds. Um, money comes in, they spend whatever they spend, and they live paycheck to paycheck, and then they're done at the end of the month. I'm like, okay, where did my money go? 
So I'm actually curious, like the, the inside service like Money Dashboard can give me, is it really possible? Like I, you know, I've got an overview, I can track things month over month with all my transactions and based on that also like make choices. Do you also like give recommendations? I can improve my bills, my expenditure. Sure. So I think I think you're exactly right. That people do live paycheck to paycheck, and in, in fact, RBS, who you mentioned, they looked at their, mm-hmm. I think it was twelve or thirteen million different account holders, yeah. and they identified that it was uh, I think it was eighty percent of their customers were essentially broke at the end of the month. So if you think oh. about that in terms of <laughs> the, the spread of the population and, and just how big a problem that is, I think it's something that that needs to be solved. And I think the reason why that happens in, in a lot of cases is that people are or don't have the visibility of where all their money's going. So a certain amount comes in, they maybe check balances, bank balances, they don't have a granular assessment of where their money's actually going, they don't have a plan particularly in, in place, and then they're doing the mental arithmetic to say, I think I've got this much to spend, and then typically forget about another bill, yes. forget about another expenditure. And I guess we've all we've all been there. Um, so the tool first and foremost tries to automate that mm. simple cycle. So within it, with any given budget cycle, whether it's monthly, weekly, fortnightly, uh, a consumer can have complete control over the upcoming bills, what's actually left, and then they can set appropriate plans to plan for that discretionary piece. I think what's also kind of interesting is. We find that, that people often have blind spots in their in their finances, and often when you ask someone how much do you think you spend on groceries, to go back to that example, they might say, "Oh, it's normally two hundred, or mm. it's five hundred, or it's a thousand, depending on how big their household is." But they're just kind of the, the the process to get to that is, well, I normally shop at somewhere once a uh, once a week. It's normally a hundred pounds or two hundred pounds. Therefore, it's this. And the big blind spot there is all the frequent trips that they have to mm. the local co-op or a corner. Yes. <laughs> and, and we found through our data analysis that, that mm. often people spend as much on those small trips as they do spend on the kind of big weekly shop if they're into that habit. So for the first time when um, users of Money Dashboards see that yeah, organized, categorized spend, they go, oh my goodness, I had no idea I was spending quite as much. And then they can make their own choices to uh, to trim back or to be smarter with how they're spending their money on an ongoing basis. So I think mm-hmm. that the tools is, is is helpful in that in that way in terms of helping people control their discretionary um, spend. We will be uh, through the course of twenty twenty helping people optimize their effectively fixed expenditure. So identifying when they're spending more than their peers on all the kind of boring utility expenditure that needs to go out, and working with a bunch of partners to provide some really meaningful savings. We think we can probably save an average consumer about £1,000 a year um, wow. through optimising all of their fixed expenditure. So we'll, that's very firmly on the roadmap. Because then you're focusing on two things. I've got my fixed bills on a monthly basis and more variable ones, the, the random little things I'm buying in store. And if you focus on those two areas, you can probably save people thousands on a yearly basis. And I mean, it sounds really recognisable. Um, the, the random little shop at Tesco, but also... Now, if you would suddenly realize, okay, I'm spending 200 um, on my weekly shop at little, but on top of that, another 200 over here, I think most of us don't even realize that. And at the same time, like what kind of percentage of your income you're actually spending on those categories? Because you now we've always got those baskets, spend 25% max on um, your rent, uh, spend another 10 to 15 on living expenses, and another 10 on transport is kind of like benchmark uh, expenditures. But I don't think many people really realize, you know, what is housing? What is you know, groceries, how do you define it? Yeah, I really, like, as a tool, because I've myself used dozens and dozens of different tools in quite a few countries, and 
I like the money dashboard overview. It's clean, it's simple, it does the job, and it still allows the tweaking that the nerds like. So from that perspective, yes. One thing I'm actually also wondering about, so obviously I'm signing up for your service, let's say, and I give you my data. Uh, how does that work? Because I signed up with all my accounts, I give you everything. Yeah, so we, we, we took a decision early on to keep the application free always. Mm-hmm. And then we had to try and figure out how on earth do we make money and, and um, we're not a charity, we're a yeah. business. So we, we tried a number of different ways to monetize. One was through product recommendations. Um, so for example, helping people get on a better credit card if, if it was going to save the money or help people um, switch their current account or help them get a better gas and energy or utility bill. And we found that that was not really what people were signing up for the service mm-hmm. for. And so therefore, they found those kind of offers and recommendations, even though they were done with the best of intentions, they found them a little bit intrusive on the service. So it wasn't as successful as, as we had thought, and it wasn't as successful as the whole market had thought. So when new, mar- new entrants come in, that's typically their go-to monetization strategy. What we did discover, though, was when we were pulling in um, all of this data, as you say, that when, we, when it was aggregated and anonymized, we were finding some really interesting insights on things like how Tesco's were doing versus Aldi and Lidl, and just what kind of proportion of the countries were shopping at discount mm-hmm. and grocers. And we thought, I wonder if that's kind of interesting. I wonder if we could create some market research products on that. And it turns out that the asset managers in particular and the retailers themselves are really interested in that kind of uh, macro kind of overview. So we, we, we decided to sort of produce some, some effectively market research on that, where we could give very high level metrics on market share shifts in different sectors where UK consumers are spending quite heavily. And so that is our kind of core monetization model today. Gotcha. And your main customers in that case are the banks, the grocers, they reach out to yourself. They see this data that can obviously base predictions and their own models on recommendations and you can provide them. And also asking many of similar services that use a subscription model that charge their users. Why not charge your users as well um, and not use this or why not both? So what we found with the kind of SaaS model um, or these kind of recurring subscription mm. revenue businesses is that it's typically only between 5 and 10% maybe of the, of the user base mm. that will actually sign up to a service, particularly with sort of fintech apps. And that's, that's fine, but what it basically means is you're putting your best features behind a paywall for, uh, for everyone. And so 90 to 95% of the users do not get the, the full benefit of the of the service, and if I come back to the earlier point around, you know, most people are in um, are not thriving in their financial yeah. lives. We wouldn't want to put the best features, the most valuable features that help them on a, on a path behind a paywall. So we think this is kind of a quite a neat way of helping them access the full service for free in perpetuity. We have considered the idea of letting users pay for the service if they're uncomfortable with the data usage, but what we've found is when people understand that it's anonymized and it's mm-hmm. not their personal data that's sold, um, more often than not, in fact, the vast majority of cases, they're like, okay, cool. Actually, that, that research sounds quite interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if, and if, mm-hmm. if, for, for those that are minded to trade or, um, or, or buy uh, and uh, trade equities, and they might be interested in going, hey, I wonder what Money Dashboard's data could say about Just Eat versus Delivery, for example. Mm-hmm. So generally, we find that the consumers are, are comfortable with, with that model. And more generally, at a high level, our mission is to help you know, people from every walk of life master their money. So. I think that's a fair claim. And same for myself. I don't necessarily care about the data aspect. If it's anonymized, it does a job for me because the service I get in return is for free. 
and helps me improve my life. And obviously, I asked your users and our uh, fan base, okay, what's, uh, quite a few of them use money dashboards. Well, what is your biggest recommendation? What would you like to see? Do you care about this? And they didn't mention anything at all if it came to the data aspect, but more actually about being able to sign up more accounts and uh, them either struggling uploading uh, data from third parties or um, just connecting to more partners. Yeah, I think we, we, mm. we hear that a lot. And so we, we are committed to what we built out in the mm. fundraise that we had recently is, is we're, we're growing the team to be able to do things like more account connections and also expanding through Europe. So um, the vast majority of the population have fairly simple financial mm-hmm. lives. So they might have two or three bank accounts, maybe a credit card and a savings account. So not massively complex. I'm guessing that a lot of your listeners mm-hmm have slightly more complex lives um, <laughs> yeah. and, and have lots of investments in lots of different mm. places and keeping a track of that is, is quite challenging. Yes. So we, we, we understand that. We, you know, we want to be building out effectively the personal balance sheet for a, for a user. So they can't, it's not just their cash accounts, but if they've got peer-to-peer investments or they've got cryptocurrency um, assets or they just want to see their, their you know, other assets, like maybe their, their property and and how that is offset against their mortgages, basically the full mm-hmm. view, the full balance sheet. And um, yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're busy already kind of speaking to a whole bunch of other more esoteric account providers, encouraging them to open up an API so we can, we nice. can do those integrations. Because do you want to become the personal capital of Europe? Obviously, we've got personal capital in the US, really, really big player there. We don't have anything along that size in Europe. Or even in the UK, there are many. I've lived in quite a few countries myself, and many of them have local servers. They do the job, and you know they work. They got a couple hundred thousand euros, and that's it. But do you want to become the personal capital of Europe? That's a really nice way of putting it. Mm. It's a great, great product, and I think you're right. There's a there's a real gap in the market for people to have different accounts from different uh, jurisdictions. We've passported our servers through Europe, so we can now do that. We just need to get the account connections in. The guys are going to be pretty busy, and um, first and foremost, we want to give people every. You know, essentially access to everything in one place, whether or not we then move into helping them invest and, 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 and do that in a very sort of proactive way and move into more of an advisory mm-hmm. space is still to be determined. But certainly having that view of everything in one place is something we're committed to. You mentioned earlier, obviously lots of banks have got an API running. You sign up through the API or in essence built um, the connection through that user sign up, data gets shipped over. Um, but also, I, for example, uh, there was uh, feedback I got from when I asked the users uh, actually this morning, um, now, what would you like to see? And they mentioned, well, why can I not just upload um, a CSV file of a third party, clean the data and add it to my money dashboard accounts? It's a, it's a really interesting yeah. idea. And I think something we're, we're definitely considering for accounts that we cannot support via mm-hmm. API. So obviously our preference would be to integrate yeah. with, it, with it because it just automates the process and it makes it, it means that the user doesn't have any work to do. It just, it's, it's there. Um, obviously that's not the case for all accounts at the moment. So it's something we're, we're considering doing. Um, it's just that when we, when we've looked at that and when we've researched that across the market, someone has to be super motivated to be, mm-hmm. be uploading uh, that information. And, and we found generally that the average consumer is sort of yeah. fairly lazy. Now, I think that the, mm-hmm. the fact that people will be listening to this podcast indicates that they have that determination and that drive. They will be willing uh, to. And would be willing yeah. to, 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 to do that mm-hmm. for sure. And it's just a, a question for us of, of ensuring that there'd be enough of that audience yeah. out there. Um, to, to, to justify the, the additional development effort. 
you know, understood and I can obviously imagine like I know of a similar Dutch service where you literally have to manually upload every single CSV uh, file, but because of the data format, it always doesn't really come out nicely and it just affects the quality of the service. So yeah, I get the wanting to partner up with partners and doing it along those lines. And you mentioned earlier and before the interview itself, you want to uh, get started with Europe itself because my dashboard now is solely focused on um, the UK. Can you tell the audience a little bit, because most of the listeners will be from Europe, a big portion will be UK-based, but yeah, you kind of roll out towards Europe. What is the plan? It's very funny, actually. We, um, through passporting our FCA mm. permissions, as a, we're an account information service provider, that's our sort of very interesting name from, from the regulator's perspective. When we passported those permissions through Europe, I think we got featured in a, in a, a main news outlet in Hungary, and we had several hundred users sign up in Hungary that day cool. off the back of that piece. But of course, we couldn't properly uh, support them because we didn't have any Hungarian accounts. So there were a few that had some accounts in the UK and they signed up. But it was a really interesting test for us to see that there's pockets of demand throughout the, the whole of Europe. And I think you referenced this earlier, there are certain providers in certain large mm -hmm. European countries that do a pretty good job locally, but no one's really sort of pan-Europe. Um, and we think, there's, we think there's an opportunity because of the open banking movement, because we're moving towards something resembling a standardization in the API connectivity. So what that means in practice is in order to move very quickly in, in major European countries, we, we're looking at all the major economies to start with. We're looking at all the major bank providers in those countries so that we can at least have decent coverage quickly. And then we'll identify from demand where what the connections roadmap needs to look like. Um, so we will be, I think, because open banking is, 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 I don't know how close anyone on, on this podcast is to it, but it's been quite a cumbersome rollout and the banks have been very, very slow to provide stable, reliable APIs. Um, we hope that by the 14th of March next year, that will kind of be done cool. and we can kind of move on to the more exciting stuff of rolling out through Europe. So from, from Q2 uh, next year, we'll, we'll be giving our, you know, some, some serious efforts to rolling out through the rest of Europe. Nice one. Any countries in particular that are most likely to get started with first? So because of our monetization model, you know, all, all of the major economies in Europe are, are of interest. Mm -hmm. But what we're also looking at is the, the where there's a strong expat community. So if there's pockets of British citizens <laughs> yes, <laughs> through, sense. Europe, through mm -hmm. of Europe, it makes sense that they can connect to all their core accounts back in the UK, but also their local accounts. So we're, we're, we're kind of investigating that right now and we'll see, I guess, a dual strategy of pockets of supporting expats in lots of different European jurisdictions mm -hmm. and then focus on some of the major uh, European countries at, at the same time in, in terms of supporting as many accounts as we can. Nice, and I'm also curious, you know, what, what it actually would do to the service because, you know, say thousands of extra users, hundreds of thousands, extra cash inflow, what you can do with that kind of money, how far you can go and, you know, what you will be in two, three, four, five years and if it will be this advisory service or or will you, you will actually like transform it to like a total, okay, we are their personal finance advisor, provider, and you know, your one go-to solution um, you need. Would that be the goal you think, or is it just, you know, you never, you don't know what will happen? We want to create a generation of money yeah. masters throughout Europe. That's the high level mission. What that looks like in practice is, what, what do we mean by a money master? <laughs> it's, it's not necessarily someone that can retire when they're 40, mm. that's an incredibly noble goal, but it's someone that has developed some really good 
financial planning habits, that they're they're living within their means, they they understand where their money's going, they've got good discipline set for saving and, and investing. And um, we believe that's entirely possible through an automated um, application that gives someone all the benefits we've just discussed. So, so the goal is to do that, um, create, create this generation of money masters um, throughout the whole of Europe. We think there's a huge opportunity to do that. We think the baseline services there are helping people spend smarter, save smarter, and borrow smarter. Mm-hmm. And if we get those three core building blocks or pillars in the application, we think that will have mass market appeal. Whether we move into the uh, uh, sort of investment space, I guess, is still, like I said, still to be determined. I really like this approach because financial education is one of the biggest gaps, well, also health gaps we've got around the world. People just simply don't know how to save their money, how to spend it. And, you know, maybe for us, it sounds obvious. It's simple. You know, you do X, Y, Z. That's all you need to do. But for many people, it is just simply really complicated. And even for listeners to this podcast, in many, you know, manage budgets in amazing ways. But we all know people that struggle and a simple tool could, change their lives and just you know setting it up for them the number of people i spoke to they actually mentioned setting up money dashboards for either for their parents or relatives and just helping them out with the first step and like okay you do it like this just try it every month that's actually one thing i would be wondering like how often do users actually tend to use money dashboard do they log in once a month or like what's kind of like the typical user activity we find that that varies depending on the life stage and the motivation of the individual so the most engaged users are those that are um you know, have a specific goal in mind and they want to be tracking their finances very, very closely. And, and they would typically be daily users. So they're, they're logging in every day because they want to keep their, their accounts up to date mm-hmm. and they just want to make sure everything's okay. They're also checking for fraudulent transactions. It's <laughs> monitoring mm-hmm. stuff very, very closely. Um, there are others um, that are you know more probably passively or they, they've got good systems set up. So they might be, We'd say bi-weekly. It's, it's very rare that it would just be once a month. Sorry, bi-monthly, yeah, I should yeah. say. So, so at least once every two weeks as a kind of check-in, halfway through the month and at mm-hmm. the end of the month, the more of a kind of just, hey, I've got my system set up. I just want to check in and make sure everything's as I'm expecting it to be. Nice one. Because I, I just guess in the end, um, for users, the, the value comes from, okay, I've got my systems in place. I can automize this whole process. And I want to actually pick back, back again to financial education so does money desperate do anything in terms of like educating their users beyond just recommending okay you know i see this little thing here um spend 20 less and you know you might save that more do you have like an, a proactive approach in terms of it comes to financial education so we, we've yeah. had people with, with with sort of spend reports where yes. we've shown them kind of actually by mm-hmm. merchants and by other areas just how much they've spent and if they were to reduce a certain amount by per week what that would aggregate mm-hmm. up and look at some very very simple maths but often people forget the compounding effect of yes. some, good, some good habits. And so when they see it in black and white, it can be quite quite motivating. But there's a couple of other things that we'll be launching very, very soon. Um, the first is helping people get into the habit of paying themselves first through the ability to create savings pots within the application. We think that's super important because when it comes to tracking your your finances, mm-hmm. you've got your income, you've got your bills, and you end up with mm-hmm. what you end up with. And if people are not in the habit of putting money aside at the very beginning of the month and paying themselves first, quite often we see that people wait to what they've got in the surplus at the end of the month. And they they have the best of intentions to sweep that into a savings account, but they never do, of course, because they will see that surplus and they manage to zero. Or everyone tends to manage to a number, whether that's minus 2,000 because they're in overdraft, whether it's zero, whether it's plus 5,000, whatever it is, people tend to manage to a number. 
So by waiting to the end and waiting for a surplus when it doesn't exist, that's super frustrating. So we want to help people pay themselves first. Um, and through payment initiation and the movement of money on mm -hmm. the platform, they'll be able to create a savings account, which will be a high-yielding um, cash savings uh, product, which is protected, which is quite important for consumers making that that first step. So I guess that's the um, the first thing. And then I think the second thing is, is, is not just have one savings account, but also help them smooth out their expenditure through the year by basically having pots, different pots that, that help people with their irregular spend. So I think that's the thing that people find most frustrating in their budgeting is they think about their income and expenditure. They think about it in a given period, say a month. They think about all their regular bills. They think about how much they normally spend. And then you've got your personal PL, right? That's great. But what about all the irregular, the quarterly transactions, the, the annual uh, expenditures? What about people's birthdays and your family <laughs> friends? What about Christmas? We were always there. <laughs> and so people get to a, a, an unusual month and they go, ah, you know, everything was working so <laughs> well. And now uh, I'm going to be over my, uh, over my budget. And so through the ability to see your annualized transactions, you can smooth out and properly assign a savings pot to smooth out those kind of irregular transactions. So those are the kind yeah. of things that we'll be doing that we think will really be quite impactful for people so that they can, if they've got mm -hmm. a savings goal, they can actually achieve it as opposed to setting some money aside at the beginning of the month and then just basically yes. putting it back out uh, towards the end mm -hmm. of the month. In essence, cash flow management. Correct. So you're actually introducing a savings product yourself. Will this be like a many money dashboard unique product or do you partner with a provider? So we're going to provide uh, access to a marketplace of the best, uh, highest yielding mm -hmm. savings accounts throughout Europe. And that's going to be through, wow. a, through a partnership. So we, we think this is quite important for us to be remain independent mm -hmm. and to provide access to the best products mm -hmm. in the market, irrespective of whether we make any money on it. So given what we said mm -hmm. earlier about our revenue yeah, yeah. model, the most important thing is that consumers understand and believe that we're very much on their side. Mm -hmm. And so we want to provide that access to the best product um, that's available for them, uh, whether we make any money or not. But, but the critical thing is we can only really do that if the user experience is mm -hmm. optimized. So even two, three years ago, it was basically impossible to create any kind of integrations with any, any mm -hmm. kind of traditional financial institutions because they didn't have APIs set up. They just weren't thinking digitally and they weren't thinking about distributing their products on other people's platforms. They would be relying on people coming to them yes. or coming into their branch. So, mm. you know, thankfully that's changing. And um, for us, in this particular example of the savings account, we, we want to be creating a, a big, wide panel of lots of different savings providers that will be able to be accessed all in application without leaving the application, setting up an account in the Money Dashboard app. But it will be another provider. It won't be a Money Dashboard can, savings account. Can I ask the name of the provider? Unfortunately, because of NDAs and things, Understood. we can't. But um, there, there are a couple of major providers in the in the, in the marketplace yeah. that people probably find that fairly easy. I think most people will be familiar with these providers, and in essence, doesn't mean you'll get an overview of all savings products. And okay, you know, this does this. This means you know it's a term deposit. This means it's locked in for you know whatever period. Or this just gives me you know one point six a year, and that's it. Yeah. I'll get an overview, and I can assign different sums to those uh, bots and then when it's actually needed i can pull them out of my christmas bot or of my grocery bots and in essence manage my cash cash flow for the entire year because that's one thing i really often see people doing like they, they look at it from it uh, like on a month-to-month -month basis and that's it and i mean it's nothing weird that they're broke in the end if you cannot see the higher level overview of are you even spent on a yearly five yearly or ten yearly basis maybe we go a little bit too far into the future sure. then but 
having that ability, that's key. Sure. And like, um, because obviously now money dashboard data wise, you know, if I sign up now, I can upload data for X number of years and I can straight away also see those trends, right? Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. that's exactly right. And um, so I think, I think your mm-hmm. point around the, the how, how do you use the data to create actionable insight? Yeah. That, that's really it. And, and so people will be trying to do that themselves, but it's just a lot of manual effort. And I think as long as the data is accurate and uh, when we pull it in mm-hmm. from, from our providers, it is, and then we're categorizing it correctly, providing that layer of analytics and insight on top of that is, is fairly straightforward. Um, I think another thing that's interesting in, in the market as a trend is the rise of the neo neo banks, particularly in the UK and, and now, I guess, to some extent in the US and uh, with N26 in, in Germany. But in beyond that, there's probably not that much activity. But what's really interesting about those accounts is it's kind of changing the mass market's approach to spending, the controlling spend. So we can see from the Money Dashboard app that the average upload that's in transfer from their core bank to their neo bank is about varies between 300 and 500 pounds a month. And that indicates to me that people are using it as a spending card. And it's actually quite an effective way of controlling your spend. So there's, there's all the things that we just talked about as challenges. You've got the, the blind spots and not realizing you're spending money in certain areas. There's the um, lack of paying yourself first and not saving and waiting for a surplus that never comes. Um, there's also kind of not understanding yes. the 12 months of or patterns more generally for irregular spend. So these are all problems that I believe watching up can solve. But the other big issue that I think people have when it comes to um, kind of living within their means is it's so tempting to spend money on things you like. That's just human nature, isn't it? Mm. And, um, and, and people often kind of really have the best of intentions, but they just, for whatever reason, go, you know, screw it. I'm going to spend money on this thing, an expensive holiday that I can't really afford or X, Y, and Z. And, um, or even just spend too much on everyday discretionary spend. And I think what's interesting about and Starling and Revolu and others is if people have a smaller budget it's like the kind of new envelope budgeting mm-hmm. type methodology where there's a defined amount and that's it when you get to zero at zero and you've got a clear balance that's separated from all the noise that, that you budget to and I think that's I think that's quite an effective way for for, for people to think about managing their money it works it's exactly what I do myself I didn't even really realize that I had set up like that I've got my main standard bank for mortgage, credit cards, etc. and Monzo for daily spending. Why? Yeah. Because it's easy. It does a job and just transfer over. A monthly sum go from there. And I guess like if we look at like, I mean, definitely the listeners of this podcast, many of them will have more than two, three accounts and more like, you know, six, seven, eight. Why? Because they sign up for more accounts sometimes. Uh, user offers superior options and features. They jump over. And I guess it's also something like people changing banks more and more over their lifetime, it's increasing. And maybe that's just a millennial thing. I don't know. But the, the habit of jumping over between different providers. Because, you know, you might end up being 40 and having eight, nine accounts and aggregating all that data together. I mean, like I, I've got accounts all around the globe. So I still use a spreadsheet for my UK basis money dashboard now. But for all my accounts together, I actually use aggregators in different countries and merge that data together into a spreadsheet afterwards to get it working. But that isn't, that's a hassle. If I could afford it, absolutely. So please yeah. go worldwide. And yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll send this to the developers, right? <laughs> yeah, and there, you know, this is now maybe you know me, but I feel this will be the standard for many people going into the future. Because the old generation with two accounts, a mortgage, and that's it. That's not necessarily they die off, but like they, you know, they retire, they stop being active. 
Because what is the most interesting, I guess, users who generate data, right? who are active, who buy things, who are really interested in new products? I couldn't agree. And I think it's, it's mm. really interesting to hear how the traditional or incumbent banks are thinking about the market shifts mm. because they often criticize the neobanks for not being the primary mm. bank account. And, um, and they say, oh, until you get the salary mm. paid into Monza or yeah. Starling, it's not really a bank. And they're not really, it's not, um, we don't need to worry about them. I think, though, that the consumer habits have changed and maybe they just yes. haven't spotted them. And I don't think that people will necessarily have a primary bank account. They'll just have different accounts for different things. And there'll be this effectively fragmentation in people's lives because they want more products that give them more choice, better prices. But that, of course, brings in, in, in with it some issues around tracking, which is where I think that other apps like Money Dashboard can then help rebundle that to give a single view. So mm -hmm. people still get all the choice they want. They don't have to just pick one. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But but they so they get the benefit of this great variety of choice. Or the ecosystem. Um, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. But they can also see similarly in one app, hopefully worldwide, uh, their, their personal balance sheet. Okay, perfect. I mean, I am definitely looking forward to seeing the European editions being added. Good to hear. And joining in myself. Uh, Steve, thank you so much uh, for joining on the interview. And thank you. Hey, Matthias, do you think there are not enough Financial Independence Facebook groups yet? Yes, there's definitely a shortage in Financial Independence Facebook groups. That's why we want to create another one. And the real reason is that we want to get some feedback on our episodes to have a conversation with our listeners, um, to follow on the topics. And you might also have some questions around our content. Gotcha. And also, we've been talking with more of you guys at meetups, on Reddit, in Facebook groups, the Fire Europe retreat, obviously, we organized. And this is in the end the main reason why we started the whole podcast project to talk to guys like you, uh, learn more from you, case studies, answer questions, and like hopefully all grow and learn from that together in the end and become stronger, smarter, and hopefully also richer people. So, you know, Matthias, say I'm interested in this. Where do I find this Facebook group? Yeah, just go to your Facebook app and type in FI Europe podcast or just click in our show notes. There's a link for the Facebook group or go to our website. There's also a link. So yeah, just type in FI Europe podcast. See you in the group. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. We hope you learned something new and enjoyed the show. You can support us by doing this. Subscribing to your favorite podcast program and leaving us a review. Following us on Instagram and Twitter at Financial Independence Europe. Sending us an email with questions and feedback. We would love to hear from you. All the mentioned articles, books and cool resources can be found in the show notes at financial-independence.eu. Thank you for listening and see you next time.